Hello and welcome to the HR Means Business Podcast. I'm Mervyn Dinan, your host, and today it's an absolute pleasure to be talking to Gemma Dale, who is an author, lecturer, and and I would say in my world, a bit of a, I won't say expert, but uh, very much full of knowledge about the whole area of remote, flexible, hybrid, and asynchronous working, which is obviously very much a topic that we've all been talking about over the last two or three years. Um, hello, Gemma. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your background? Hi, Mervyn. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you today. Um, I am a senior lecturer at Liverpool John Moores University Business School and the author of two books uh, relating to this topic. So Flexible Working, which is uh, really a sort of HR guide to how to introduce flexible working in your organisation. And then more of a practical book, uh, How to Work Remotely, which, as the title suggests, is all about the skills that you need to work in a remote or hybrid way. Okay, thank you. And those books are available from Kogan Page, as am I too, um, in the UK and the US and wherever you're listening from. Um, now, this this is not a COVID pandemic related topic of interest for you, because this is something you were interested in uh, beforehand, isn't it? It was. And I've been working on flexible working and, and certainly talking and writing about it a lot before the pandemic. Um, but of course, that was a time when certainly um, in the UK, uh, the pace of adoption of flexible working was, I think, the Chartered Institute of Personal and Development described it as glacial. Um, and, you know, we although we've been talking about flexible working and its potential for many, many years, um, it did not really take off until it was forced um, by obviously COVID-19. Okay and what I mean in, in terms of the I suppose the earlier days for you and your researcher uh, what were you finding and, and how did that begin to shift I suppose almost immediately in 2020? Well, what I think is really interesting about remote work is, is actually how long we were talking about it and forecasting it and and not everybody realises this, but the term actually arose in the mid-1970s in the US and, and telecommuting and teleworking, as we used to call it then, and, and we still do in, in academic research, was seen as a potential um, way of solving the, the oil crisis and, and reducing commuting. And if we actually look at what sort of academics and management gurus were saying in the late 70s, into the 80s and even the early 90s, we were predicting this huge potential around remote work. People thought that half of the knowledge workers globally would work from home or in sort of what we now call co-working or third spaces. And of course, it, it didn't happen. Um, and it wasn't technology that got in the way because that technology did come along, as we all know, from home broadband to smartphones. Um, and then as we you know, got a little bit further on, the, the kind of platforms that, that allow us to meet virtually. But it just didn't take off. And actually, a lot of that was stigma. Um, around people who might want to work in a flexible way and, and all our perceptions about whether that meant they were, um, use your term, a bit of a skiver or uncommitted or unengaged or unmotivated or didn't care about career progression. 
Um, and lots of fears as well. And obviously, as well as being an academic, I've got a long career as a HR practitioner. And my own experience then was when people would say, can I work flexibly? Can I do a little bit of work from home? There'd be the big, sharp intake of managerial breath. Um, and all those questions would come out about, you know, how will I know they're working? Um, which, you know, now Microsoft have, have recently researched and called productivity paranoia, which I think is a great term. So, you know, a history of not allowing it, not wanting to do it, it not taking off as it could have done, a forced period, a forced change, and then all the things that we've seen um, since March 2020, from the ebbs and flows of different lockdowns and different rules and restrictions um, in different countries, um, through to return to office, um, and then all the different headlines we've seen about companies that have embraced it and companies that haven't and have said to everybody, get yourselves back in the office five days a week. Mm. And it's interesting because I think back <clears throat> in the 1980s, I worked in a firm of accountants and um, it just listening to you talk, it, it kind of jogged my memory that certain, certainly for senior people like partners, if they if they were working on something very big or important or something they didn't want distractions they would work from home for a couple of days because if they're in the office people knock on their door the phone rings the, the daily post this is before email I'm afraid uh, you know the daily post arrives with things and that was that wasn't seen as anything strange obviously if 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 one of the audit seniors or the tax juniors or something said I'd like to do this from home tomorrow then it would have been no uh, but but so I think at one level it's as you said it dates back to the 70s 80s uh, at one level it's kind of been acceptable possibly for a certain level uh but now of course this is uh, i suppose across the whole spectrum although as we know before anybody's shouting at at their, their their laptop or wherever they're listening to this yes i know that just over half of people who work in the uk can't work flexibly and remotely because of the jobs they do but we are talking about i suppose the significant minority who do take up a lot of space in the narrative uh, mainly because a lot of the people who um, uh, that, that, that continue the narrative and discuss the narrative are people who can work flex flexibly. Um, so when you started looking into this, I suppose, what were the first things you found that uh, possibly surprised you or, or, or were different to what you expected them to be? I think one of the big surprises for me post-pandemic was just how quickly people adapted but not just how quickly they adapted, how quickly they were able to identify, I want to keep working in a remote way. And we've all seen those headlines. There's been so many surveys done it over the last couple of years. But actually, the first of those surveys were undertaken during actually quite a lot of still restrictions around leaving your home. Certainly in the UK, um, schools were closed at the time. A lot of those early surveys came out. And just how consistent they are globally. So whether you look at data from the US, Europe, South Africa, Australia, this voice is really consistent around wanting to work in a remote way. Not all the time, of course. Most people want hybrid. The, the percentages of people who want to go back into an office full time or um, who want to work from home small time, full time, definitely in the minority. So I think that was always the really interesting thing for me, that even though we were working in this new way and we were in the middle of a crisis, we were fearful of our health. You know, remember those times when before we had vaccines um, and before we yeah. even really knew, you know, what what COVID could do to, to our world, we were still able to say, 
I'm enjoying this and I can see the benefit of it and I want to keep some of it. And I think there's something in there around, you know, the real strength of feeling around this. But also, I think the extent to which, and perhaps this shouldn't be a surprise, because we know that when people live through complex situations, whether it's house, bereavement, divorce, etc., we know that that often has a very uh, changing impact on them as an individual. But I think, you know, the extent to which we've seen issues around people wanting to live differently, um, work differently, really coming to the forefront. And there's some really interesting research uh, come out from Gartner a few months ago where they really found that people, you know, want to work in a place that aligns with their values, are prepared to really revisit what they want from work and work in their working life. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, the I suppose it leads me on to one of the questions that that, that I often, when I'm asked about it, uh, speculate on, which is the 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 question of dedicated space. So mm. it's easy for me. I'm I'm as as anybody who's met me when I'm slightly older. Um, you know, kids have grown up and left home, although one of them is actually back here at the moment. Um, I I have I have a space. I'm talking to you from a room. I can shut the door and I can work here. Um, Opposite uh, is is a property, a flat with five people flat sharing. They don't have a dedicated space. So they they all people who have been working from home uh, over the last two, two and a half years. There are a couple of them now are working more flexibly. Um, And but but they are pretty much spending the day working in their bedrooms and then sleeping in their offices or their two or three of them are sharing a very small space to work from. How I mean, as your research found much differential around this kind of you know dedicated space if people don't have that are they more likely to want a different arrangement or or what does it show um this isn't something i personally research but there is a lot of really quite interesting research around it and and actually some of this research dates back as far as the 90s in those very early home working situations what we know is that individually we have these ideas around what is work and what is home and and a lot of these ideas are kind of socially constructed and and we bring a lot of stuff to that and you know for for example um you know the extent to which each person either wants to um, bring those together and integrate them or to what extent people want to separate them and we're all on a spectrum from sort of extreme separation and segmentation at one end to extreme integration on the other um the enforced working from home period kind of forced integration. So people were, um, you know, working on kitchen tables, working and, and trying to do childcare at the same time. Um, so that was a, a really complex time for a lot of people. And for people who like segmentation, um, who, who really, for psychological reasons for their well-being, need to have clear lines, they lost that. And that was a real source of stress. I think going forward, um, some people need that separate space more than others. Some people really comfortable with integration. They're the kind of people who will have, you know, their work emails on their personal phone. They'll have one calendar for everything. Um, you know, they they bring the two things together and they're not bothered if they're working in the living room when the kids are running around. For other people, that would be a disaster for their mental health, for their sense of internal work-life balance. And they need those clear boundaries and they need that boundary management approach. So it's really individual, as indeed are most of the 
aspects around kind of well-being work-life balance that that turn up um around remote work i think there is a real challenge for those individuals like the ones you describe where they need the separation they need that um separate space physically and mentally but they just can't get it because of their living situation and i think that's why when organizations are designing their policies around these kinds of things they need to recognize that everybody's different and when we are too rigid when we say it's three days in and two days at home or whatever particular balance we've decided is the right one we have to recognize that they're not going to work for every individual and and people will be at their best from a productivity point of view from a well-being point of view from an engagement point of view when they're able to personalize how they work as much as possible within the boundaries of what the role will allow. And that's how we achieve the best possible situation for each individual and as a knock-on impact into the organization itself. Now, I'm glad you you raised the question of well-being there. You and I uh, have both been involved in a, a piece of research recently, which has looked at well-being in the workplace. Um, in fact, I've been in, involved in a couple more this year, and it's one of the topics that, yeah, in this podcast, I want to explore as much as I can. What I mean from your research and from, I suppose, the people you talk to, your interviews, how how has well-being been impacted, and what are the kind of things that that, that individuals and organisations are doing to try to ensure that that when people are working flexibly, remotely, um, their well-being is not and their well-being and mental health is not suffering? I think I would sum up the relationship between remote work and well-being with two words. Um, It's complicated (laughs) Um, (laughs) because some people thrive. Some people absolutely thrive. Um, They are able to channel their commute or greater autonomy into um, things that support their well-being, from more time with family to exercise to cooking better food. Um, And, you know, from the research that that I did at Liverpool John Moores with colleagues in 2020, that was a really, really clear message. But at the same time, for other people during the pandemic, particularly because that was a very complex time and it was a time of isolation working from home, reduce social contact. And again, very situational, obviously, um, even things like ergonomic issues from sitting on poor chairs, not designed for, you know, eight hours of, of desk based work. Um, so all sorts of complicated factors. But I think we we have to sort of take that pandemic period and say that was a very, very specific time. And how much can we realistically extrapolate into the future? We know that um, we need to support people um, when they're working in in all sorts of ways. You know, we know that workplace well-being is a challenge for many organisations and there are some really kind of now issues that we're all familiar with that will be impacting on that clearly, like the cost of living and um, all the stress associated that that comes from from that situation. But I think as as we start to move into the future, it falls to organisations and HR departments to really understand that contradictory nature of the relationship between remote work and wellbeing. And we have to be able to support people to be well in whatever format they're working whether it's 100% office 100% remote or that hybrid mix and and I think again for me a lot of it comes down to that sort of personalization Um, I think one thing that organizations do need to be thinking about 
is normalizing that conversation about work-life balance because it's one of those terms doesn't really have a clear definition or do we mean by it um, but we need to be having that conversation we also need to be having a conversation around digital presenteeism because we know that when working from home it's really easy for the working day to extend and to intensify and and really big long body research on that and we know that those tools you know you talked about um, asynchronous work at the start asynchronous tools are brilliant but when do we turn them off um, <laughs> and if somebody else is busy working and firing messages out at a time we're not working how do we kind of make it okay that you can set again boundaries coming back to that thing around boundaries when people are working in flexible ways remote ways hybrid ways boundaries are everything and again, that's a conversation that I'm not sure every organisation is having with its people. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I want to ask you, particularly about managers, I suppose, frontline managers as well, um, regarding these conversations. Um, how are they coping with it? I mean, in terms of, again, what you've seen, I dare say there's been a bit of a learning curve over the last two years or so. But, but now we're moving to a time when, again, in certain sectors, this has become more of a norm. Uh, you mentioned the productivity paranoia research from Microsoft, which I'll come to in a moment. Um, but in terms of managers, firstly, what, what support is there for them? And from your experience and research and the interviews you do, how well do you think they are coping and able to lead a, a remote, flexible, hybrid team? I think it's really mixed again. And I think it's an area we need to do more research in. I think we have seen little bits of that coming through from some of the, you know, the big organisations that, that are in this space, researching like the Future Forum, um, Gartner, Microsoft, Deloitte, for example. Um, but I think we need to do more about understanding that experience. We, we've talked a bit about leaders and we often focus that on the productivity question. You know, are people productive? Are your people productive? Um but I think we need to do much more about understanding the day-to-day -day experience of the sort of first level to middle level managers. So I've got a plan to do some research on that next year. But I think in terms of what HR teams are, are offering within their organisations, some brilliant. Some have put in lots and lots of support, um, training, guidance, sharing the new thinking as it's coming through. But I have seen some surveys which indicate that a lot of managers um, have had no training at all. Um, and similarly, we've also seen survey findings that employees have not been taught how to work in this way as well. And I think there's it's easy to make an assumption that, well, we all learned this stuff during the lockdown and we've all figured it out now. But actually, I don't think that's true. And I think hybrid is a completely different ball game than working 100% remote during a crisis situation. Um, and there's so much to think about. There's the practical elements like who's in where and how am I making sure everybody's up to speed and how are we having a hybrid meeting and making sure everybody's voice gets heard. But then those bigger issues as well, like how do we ensure well-being? How do we ensure inclusion particularly mm. um, as well? So I think... Um, if I would sum it up again, mixed picture, but more work to do, I think, um, especially in those key spaces around well-being, um, communication and, and inclusion. And how would you recommend 
people get started. So, I mean, something like this, if, if people are listening and to this, hopefully, and nodding along, that, that their experience is this, that it's not really, it's not come together yet. The managers aren't really on top of it. There's no, I suppose there's no plan. Um, where would you recommend organisations or HR leaders start? I think there's with any of these things, there's, there's some real benefit in going out to people and in your own specific context and asking them what they need. So going back to basics with a bit of a training needs analysis and, and having that conversation. Um, one of the things that I've seen really work in several organisations is getting managers together almost in, a, in, 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 a, in an informal space without an agenda and actually not running a training course, but getting managers to form a sort of supportive community and talk about how are they doing this new stuff? What challenges are they experiencing? Um, and, and what successes have they had? And, and I've seen that work in practice and be really, really quite powerful. Um, I think um, definitely, you know, there, there is some practical things like how to run hybrid meetings really really well that organizations should definitely be thinking about because that does impact significantly on things like voice um, and inclusion um, but I think the other one if I was just sort of saying topics um, to think about in that well-being space and in that work-life balance space um, those are those are really key issues I think that we we should all be looking at because some of the areas around hybrid work and, and all the other new ways of working that people are trying because of course it's not just hybrid you know we are seeing com uh, companies experiment with four-day weeks with non-linear working days with asynchronous work in general we need to understand the potential for long-term uh, influences to things like progression pay broader inclusion um, and, and we need to be sort of monitoring and planning for those now uh, good advice um Productivity paranoia, you mentioned earlier, and it's obviously very much a term now. It, it, this often happens. You get a report um, and there is a term in it and suddenly it's what everybody leap, leaps onto. It, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the HR in, in, in the age of hashtag outrage, I like to say, because every morning there's another you turn, there's another hashtag. Um, what would you there will be people listening, I'm sure, that would say, well, actually, I, f I fully understand that. Uh, um, you know, I don't know what they're doing. I, I, I don't know how productive they are. I'd, that kind of uh, approach, uh, which when I when I speak to people who uh, have retired from the workplace and talk about the stuff we talk about, uh, the, the, the answer is usually, well, of course, they would have worked from home because then they didn't have to do anything. Um, how, again, would you uh, recommend organisations or, or HR people begin to uh, embrace this uh, productivity paranoia, not to be paranoid, but actually to kind of let the paranoia go? It's a really difficult question. And, and I actually sort of secretly quite like the term productivity paranoia because I think it really sums up what is happening. But underneath this is, is trust. And that has always been the barrier. So whether I go back to the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, that has always been the barrier. It's not been technology. It's not been people's ability to work from home. We've proved that because we carried on being productive during the pandemic. It's one of those beliefs and myths that seems to disregard the evidence because survey after survey before the pandemic, during it, since shows that people are more productive or as least as productive as they would be in the office. 
The problem is there's no real one settled definition of productivity, and we very often rely on people's own views of that productivity. And how do we judge productivity with knowledge work anyway? Um, you know, am I productive when I'm working from home because I've designed a lecture or am I productive at home because I've had some really good thoughts um, about, you know, my thesis or what? It's really difficult. So I think in a part of me would like to say show people the evidence, but actually we all know how this cognitive bias stuff works. You know, if it's if, if the evidence that we see supports our viewpoints, then we like it. And if it doesn't, we find a way to reject it. Um, I think there is some power in looking not just at sort of bigger surveys and you know what's been said by um uh, you know, an organizational management consultancy firm, but starting to understand your own productivity and uh, at an organizational level um, where you are able to do that. But I think there is no silver bullet to this. It is just chipping away. It is chipping away at it. It is experimentation. It is learning as we go. And it is simply chipping away at those beliefs and, and over time, hopefully exposing them for what they are. And, and that is, it, it's a myth. I mean, I've been working in HR for many, many years, and we probably can all remember other myths, can't we? Do you remember when we were really worried that if we gave everybody access to the internet in the workplace, the world would come to an end, nobody would ever do any work ever again? Um, I'm old enough to remember the days when um, people had uh, smoking breaks built into their contracts. Uh, and we were, we were worried about that too. You know, there was, what about, what if people sort of take that from 15 minutes to 30? there's always a thing and, and we've always had this fear mm. around whether people are doing enough um, and, and whether they you know, we're getting enough out of them for the wages that we pay them. So the truth is it's not going away anytime soon. Um, so we have to find a way of working with it and progressing the agenda anyway. Um, Gemma, um, I don't have much to add to that. Um, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And let, let people know where they can find you. Well, best place is usually Twitter, where I'm at HR underscore Gem. OK, hopefully you'll get a lot of new followers now. And uh, listen, it's great. And I look forward to catch, catching up with you again soon. And thank you for your time. Thanks, Mervyn.